0: We're in 1 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 and 23 this morning as we look at three things salvation brings. Three things salvation brings. When a person accepts Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, things are to be different. Now, there should be immediate changes, but there's also the process that uh, that Stephanie Enid just talked about, Of growing in grace, and that is a lifelong process, is it not? One who's been walking with Christ for years should be more Christ like than a brand new Christian, should they not? Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new. So, in the passage we're going to look at this morning, Peter is reminding us that. Things are to be different after salvation. Let's read verses 22 and 23 of 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, starting at verse 22, Seeing ye have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but if incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. So three things salvation brings I want us to examine in this passage this morning. First, we're going to study there's an inward cleansing. An inward cleansing. Secondly, we'll notice that there is an outward showing. An outward showing. Then thirdly, there's an upward living. Again, you and I need to understand that Things are different after salvation. Let us look to the Lord for guidance. Father, I pray you guide as we examine these verses this morning. Again, teach us, Lord, that there are things to be different as your children. And so, Lord, I pray that we again be reminded of these things, and then examine ourselves and ensure that they are so. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. Aren't you glad, first of all, that once you were saved, there was an inward cleansing? that Jesus Christ forgave your sins. Now, when he died on the cross at Calvary, how many of your sins were yet future? All of them. So how many sins has he forgiven? All of them. Now, once we're saved, we do not lose our relationship with God. It will, you know, once we're saved and we sin, we do not lose our relationship with God. Once we're saved, we're eternally secure, right? But, as a saved individual, when I sin, I can break fellowship with God, but I'm glad he doesn't kick me out of the family, aren't you? That all those sins are truly forgiven. Now, when I confess them as a Christian, it's so I can restore that relationship with him that's, or that, that's been broken, that, not the relationship, but the fellowship with him that has been broken, because the relationship still remains. But understand, Christ died for all those sins too. But Let's look at a few verses that talk about this forgiveness of sins. Acts 13, 38. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man, through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins. The forgiveness of sins. You know, in the Old Testament, when they would bring the sacrifices to the temple... They had to repeat the sacrifices because it was just a covering of their sin. It wasn't a washing away of their sin. Ephesians 1.7, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Colossians 1.14, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. I am glad he washed my black cart white as snow, aren't you? We can have a cleared and purged conscience. Hebrews 9.14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Now listen, our past is buried. It's gone. Satan loves to bring it up and remind you of the past. We're examining in the morning service about Paul as we're going through the book of First Timothy, how that he considered himself the chief of sinners. Now, because why? He said, I was a persecutor of the church. I was a blasphemer. I was these things. Now, is Paul dwelling in the past? Is he sitting there defeated because of the past? He says, no. But he's reminded that's what he was before he's saved. But he says, I have been cleansed. I'm washed is no longer what I am. And Christian, what you were before you were saved is no longer what you are today. Hallelujah. Because we are a new creature. Again, 2 Corinthians 7 or 5:17, therefore if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away; behold, all things are become new. Now that word become new is a continuing action verb and the Greek has the idea of all things are becoming new. It's continually becoming new. Again, growing in grace, growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I am glad that at the moment we're saved, the Holy Spirit of God took up residence. That's something new, isn't it? The believer becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost. We looked at that on Wednesday, but the Holy Spirit of God working in us enlightens the believer. John sixteen thirteen. Howbeit, when he, the Spirit of Truth, is come, he will guide you into all truth. For he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Isn't it a wonderful thought that the Author of the Bible now indwells in you and is willing to teach you His Word? What better teacher could you ask for than the author himself who's in you teaching you the Word of God? But is that not what he promised? That he will enlighten you. He will give you the knowledge. He'll give you the understanding of his Word. But it requires study. It requires effort. It's not just all of a sudden, you know, boom, I'm going to understand everything. It still requires effort and study. But the natural man doesn't receive those things, but the spiritual man does. See, because the Word of God, since you've been saved, there's no longer just words on the page. It's a living book. It's a book that transforms you, and you study it, and you find those truths, those nuggets as the Holy Spirit is enlightening you that transform your life. Isn't that wonderful? So we see there's an inward cleansing. I am glad my sins are washed, and that the Holy Spirit of God now dwells within me. We see that again in verse 22, seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren. So then if there's an inward cleansing, there should be an outward showing. You know the difference between Christianity and religions is many things. Number one, we serve a risen Savior. Number two, it is a relationship, not a religion. But number three, the work is done from the inside out. You see, all religions are trying to work and clean up the outside, but they don't worry about the inside. Christianity works from the inside out. Did not Jesus accuse the Pharisees of being white as sepulchers? You know, I could take a tomb, and I could decorate it very beautifully. As a matter of fact, I have a friend uh, some of you may know him. Matthew Rimmer owns the sawmill down on 101. He was asked to build a uh, casket, or coffin for a guy. And I don't know if it's still done, but the work he's doing on it is beautiful. I mean, he's used different types of oaks and I think, uh, um, oh, what is it? Real dark wood, walnut. And I think maybe some cherry and whatnot and has all these beautiful accents on it. It's a, it's a beautiful piece of art. But you know what the intent of it will be? Stick a dead man in it and plant it in the ground. It looks beautiful on the outside. But I promise you, once the guy passes and he's placed inside that box, you're not going to want to open the box. Right? So Jesus says to these Pharisees, you look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside you fold dead man's bones. That's exactly what religion is. It can look pretty on the outside, but it's dead on the inside. I'm glad that the Holy Spirit of God took up residence. I am a new creature, and from the inside being cleansed, it will spring forth to the outside. That's the way the Christian life is supposed to be. So there should be an outward showing. The Christian is obey the commands of Scripture. Let's go back again, verse 22. Seeing you have purified your soul and obeying... The truth. Jesus said in John 14, 15, if you love me, keep my commandments. We need to obey the truth even when it's not convenient. There are sometimes decisions in life that are not easy to carry through with, are they? But they're the right thing to do. And you and I, Christians, need to be principled and do it because it is Right? not because it's convenient, not because everybody else is doing it, not because of whatever other reason people may come up with, but if it's the right thing to do, do it even if you're standing alone. Obey the truth. Because let me tell you, you and I are going to stand before Jesus Christ and give an account of our lives, and I would rather hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant, than have the applause of men Then he continues on, seeing you have purified your soul and obeying the truth through the Spirit under unfeigned love of the brethren. Unfeigned love for the brethren. Unfeigned has the idea of sincere, but without hypocrisy. We had a couple here in this church years back who used to have a saying, and I correct them on them all the time. But they said, well, we just fake it till we make it. I said, do you understand what you just said? You just admitted you're being a hypocrite. Well, it would be better to be a hypocrite and try to make everybody think that I'm really doing right instead of just, you know, doing what I really think I should be doing, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, no, how about you change your heart and change your attitude toward it and desire to do the right thing, not fake it till you make it. That's a horrible thing. Talking about ministry, fake it till you make it. I certainly hope I'm not faking it till I make it. I don't even know what that means. Look, I can't do anything but by the power of God, anyhow. So I don't have to fake it. I just need God's power. And have you ever noticed? I hope you're not one of those that compares preachers with preachers. There are some out there that, oh, this preacher, he's the greatest thing since sliced bread, blah, 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 blah. But that preacher, he's boring to listen to. Let me tell you what matters more. What are they preaching? listen to the message don't be entertained by the messenger listen to the message now some men do get excited when they're preaching that's okay wednesday night was killing me being tied to that microphone up there because i like to move okay i like to move because from here i can really see your faces and by the way i want to say again i was complimented on you all being an easy crowd to preach to. If you've never stood in front of people, you don't know what a blessing that is. There are times when I've been in churches preaching where people give me that look like, I dare you, bless me. And they'll just give you this stare the whole time. I've had some that are sitting there counting the ceiling tiles. I've had some that are sitting there with their head down. I've had some where they're sleeping. And yeah, it even sometimes happens here. But for the most part, this crowd preaching to, you all are engaged, you give nods when you, you understand or agree, you give looks of confusion when you didn't quite understand the point, and that's actually good. No, that's not a bad thing, because that means I didn't explain the point, and I need to figure out another way in order to say it so that it helps connect So the feedback that you give is actually very good. And also the other thing that is very encouraging is I see a lot of pens writing down notes. And there's not been a preacher here in the last several years who has not commented and complimented you all on your paying attention during the preaching of the word. That's extremely important and don't lose that. That was a sidebar that took me so far from where I was, I forgot where I was. Where were we? sincere, without hypocrisy. By the way, your listening shows the sincerity of your listening. You're not here just to fill your hour of time, and hey God, I did my time, but your sincere listening actually shows that you truly want to hear the Word of God. That's why it's so important. And trust me, when we were on deputation, I stood in a many a pulpit, And I would go home and tell my wife, I said, that message was so hard. She goes, you preached it before. I'm like, the crowd was not engaged whatsoever. It was hard to preach. Do we have a sincere love without hypocrisy for the brethren? Sometimes that can be a tall order. Because there are some who are easier to get along with than others. Now, don't sit there and think, does he not get along with it? No, I get along with every one of you here. We have a great church. Praise God for it, right? But we need to be careful of gossiping and backbiting and dissension and division and cliques. We're too small for cliques. Maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. But the love here is the phileo love, the brotherly love that we should have toward one another. Now, it's interesting because seeing you purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit and the unfeigned love of the brethren, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. So the first time is the phileo love, the one from which we get the word Philadelphia, city of brotherly love. If you've ever been there, it's the city of brotherly shove, but dirty city. I guess they're getting it cleaned up finally, but anyhow. The second time it's used is the agape love. So the phileo love is the brotherly love. But the second time it's used, it's talking about the agape love. Okay, so. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned phileo of the brethren, see that ye agape one another with a pure heart fervently. In other words, we're to go beyond just a brotherly love, but we need to have a selfless, sacrificial love for other believers. Oh, preacher, now you're stepping on toes. I could never love them that way. Well, Jesus Christ loved you that way. And if you call them brother or sister, you're going to be spending eternity with them in heaven, so you might as well learn how to love them now. Now, since this to be a fervent love, that means the idea of an intense or continual love. I have one older brother. I can pickle my brother relentlessly, and he could pickle me relentlessly. One time, growing up, he tried running me over with the tractor. Another time, I was taking a two-by-four and split his head wide open. My mom caught me, thankfully. We were brothers. We loved each other. We would pick on each other. We fought like cats and dogs. But don't you ever pick on one of us. The other one would stick up for him. That's how brothers act, right? Okay. Sometimes, like Ronnie... Wednesday. We were just bantering with Ronnie relentlessly on Wednesday. I don't even remember what about. No, no, no. It doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, I see it's gone, too. I messed up trying to get it in rags, and then I had to shave it off. It looked good before, but... No, it didn't. <laughs> we, we banter with each other because... That's brothers, right? right? But the truth is, if somebody were to attack Ronnie from the outside, I'd be there defending him. Not the stash so much, but the <laughs> 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 But beyond that brotherly love, there ought to be that agape love that's willing to sacrifice for one another. I am thankful to be part of a church where <clears throat> we, when somebody has a need, people are willing to step up. You know, I've even had times people come to me and say, hey, does so-and-so have a need because I've heard that da-da-da-da-da-da. That's really a church that's in love with one another, trying to make sure that each other are taken care of and looking out for one another and, and trying to help each other and trying to encourage one another, trying to help each other grow. And I'll be honest, over the last several years, I've seen more of that here at Freedom Baptist Church than I had before. And maybe partly... This is a true story, because I would never tell you a false one. So why did I say that? I don't know. Several years ago, when we started the fellowship time, it was about the same time that I started having the ushers keep attendance. I had several men in this church come to me and say, Pastor, I got a problem. I'm like, okay, what's that? He says, I don't know anybody's name in this church. I said, that is a problem. I said, good thing you're now taking attendance, because you're going to actually have to learn who's who oh, you know, as if I was supposed to find another method of taking attendance. I'm like, now you're actually going to have to learn who's who. I think that really has changed our church because everybody finally realized, I can't just walk in, sit down and worship and walk out. I'm part of a body of believers. I really need to know this body of believers. And I have seen more of you fellowshipping among yourselves and fellowshiping even outside of church now, heaven forbid, like brothers and sisters in Christ taking care of one another. But that's the way it should be, should it not? By the way, it's okay to invite somebody else over to your house and, you know, or go do some activity together. It's fine. Because it should be a fervent love, an intense love, a continual love because this love demonstrates our love for Christ. John 13, 15, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one toward another. Yet it's interesting, you go in many towns, and you find out there's a church on this corner, and then two blocks down is a church that used to be part of this church, but they couldn't get along, so they split off and they started their own church. And then two blocks down is the church that realized they should have never split from this church, but they can't go back to this church, so they start their own church over here. I mean, it's ridiculous, because Christians... Christians fight about the silliest little things. And yes, we have a coffee stain in the middle of our carpet. It's been there longer than I've been here. And everybody has tried to get it out, but it's still there. And don't leave the church and split about it. It's okay. We like our coffee stain. <laughs> At least you're not splitting the church about it. Because churches are split over dumber things than that. And then we wonder why the world says there's no difference between you, Christian, and me. When we sit there and we backbite and we gossip and we complain about other Christians and we talk bad about them, let me tell you something. Some of the worst ones are some pastors on Facebook who sit there and everything some other pastor does has to sit there and criticize it publicly on Facebook so all the lost world can see that these two pastors don't agree. Because I'm certain that's really helping lead people to Jesus Christ. I say that very facetiously and sometimes I want to correct them. But the problem is unless I call them privately, if I put it on Facebook, I'm guilty of doing exactly what they're doing. Whatever happened to when you have a disagreement, pull somebody aside and talk to them about your disagreement in private. Years ago when I worked at Walmart, there was a man who was, uh, I think he retired from the Marine Corps. I know he served in the Marines, and he was a Vietnam veteran, uh, Vietnam-era veteran, and management had a problem with something he did. And these two young managers, and we're talking a guy who's a very elderly gentleman, standing there in sporting goods with these two young managers, sitting there chewing him out right in front of customers and everybody. thought that went through my mind was praise in public, reprimand in private what i was taught and i almost pulled those two managers aside and said how dare you reprimand him publicly i said he is a united states marine veteran who served in vietnam he deserves a little more respect than that i didn't say that to him but i was that close to saying it to him when we do that to other christians in front of the lost world are they seeing that we are disciples of christ no it's amazing to me that Jesus says, by this shall they know that you're my disciples, your love one to another. Our love needs to be so unique, so different, so sacrificial for one another that the world says, you know, there's something different about those Christians the way they treat one another. That is not exemplified in most churches today. To the best of my knowledge, Our church strives to do so. And I thank God for it. But Christian, let's not forget, the world can see our testimony and does watch. And if they see an incredible love among ourselves, Jesus said they'll know we're his disciples. Kind of interesting because even the guys he's saying it to fought, didn't they? 1 John 4, 7, Beloved, let us love one another for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. You see, the Christian life is to be demonstrated in action. The Christian life is to be demonstrated in action. Okay, so we're talking about the outward showing, right? What comes forth in our lives needs to demonstrate the changed life we have in Christ, the new creature that we are in Christ. Hold your finger here in Peter and come back with me to the book of James, if you will, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, verses 14 through 20. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, James writes, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not worked? Can faith save him? If a brother be a sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled notwithstanding, ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, man may say, thou hast faith, and I have works. Show thee my fa- thy faith without thy works, and I will show thee my faith by my works. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? What is james saying he's not saying we're saved by faith but he says one that is saved is going to have a working faith how can i see your faith if i look at ronnie i can't see inside of him i don't see his faith in christ right i cannot physically see it with my eyes but if ronnie is living a different life as he's living a life that's pleasing to christ he's he's studying the word of God, he's praying, he's following Christ, he's winning souls to Christ, do I see his faith working? Yes. If I see him having love toward the brethren, if I see him hating sin, I see the works that are a result of his faith. That is what James is saying. Christian, how can the world see your faith if there's no difference between you and they? They can't. There has to be a difference in the way you live. You must carry yourself like a Christian for them to see the works. You're not working to be saved. You're working because you're saved and the works show the faith you have in Christ. There ought to be an outward showing of what's really in your heart. Now, when the rubber meets the road, sometimes that's harder applied than it sounds. You just get a phone call that a loved one was in an accident. Now, of course, we all are concerned. We all have emotions. We all can, but do you fall apart like the world does, or does you, your faith in Christ demonstrated at that moment? You follow what I'm saying? I had, and I shared this before, and this only ever happened once in my life. A guy came up to me when I was working sporting goods, He was from the automotive department he said i need to talk to you and we went off to the side privately he says i need to know what makes you tick he says i've been watching you for two years and there's something different about you i need to know what makes you tick we went after work to denny's and i shared with him the gospel of jesus christ let me tell you folks we need to live a life now i don't say that for any glory of mine Because I know there were many times I failed at work. Apparently, he never saw those parts. But you and I need to live a life demonstrating Christ, that they could come to you and say, there's something different. What makes you tick? So we've seen the inward cleansing, the outward showing, and this is all because of the upward living. Go to verse 23. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible. We are born with incorruptible seed. Salvation is not by a family lineage, but is through the precious blood of Jesus Christ. By the incorruptible, by the word of God. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17 tells us, we had to hear the word of God preached. Listen, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, it's not about your fancy stories, it's about giving them the word of God. The truth of God's word. The unchanging, eternal, ever-settled-in-heaven word of God. But as children of God, our focus needs to be on him and on eternity. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. The word of God stands forever. You and I are to live according to the word of God. You and I are to live with eternity in view, not the temporal things of this world. You and I are to be looking upward, Christian, not downward. And as his children, we need to be focused on him. Are we growing more like Christ day by day? The verse that Enid alluded to earlier, 2 Peter 3.18, but grow in grace And in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Are we growing in grace? Are we growing in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? And listen, both of those elements are important. I have met many who grow in knowledge, but knowledge can puff up. It's important we grow in grace as we grow in knowledge. So three aspects of salvation given to us this morning. First, we have the inward cleansing. There's the outward showing, and there must be an upward living. Christian, I know if you're born again, there's already been that inward cleansing. But is there the outward showing? The outward showing comes when we start the upward living, thinking of heaven, thinking of eternity, living for eternal values, not temporal values because thinking of eternity is going to change the way you act and what manifests itself in your life. Focusing on the Word of God, focusing on growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ, those are eternal things, right? Focusing on those is going to change the outward of what others see. These three things should be apparent in your life since you've been saved. Let's bow for a word of prayer.